Good morning again. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 4. We're actually going to pick up right where Molly left off uh, with verse 5. Before we uh, read that passage, let's pray together. Our Father, we, we, we long to hear from you this morning. Uh, we long to get a glimpse of your face, of your glory, of your love in the face of our Savior Jesus and in the glory of the gospel as we find it in your word. So we pray, Father, that you would come, that you would work in me by your Spirit. Give me uh, the words to say. Enable me to say it clearly, boldly. Give us each hearts that are ready to hear, ready to receive your grace afresh. Father, we pray that you would work inside of us to give us a clearer sight of our Savior Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're going to pick up right where Molly left off. Our sermon text is actually the whole chunk uh, from what Molly read, starting in 3.4, all the way to the end of 4.18. We're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Well, there is a pop song by an artist named Grace Vanderwall called Light the Sky. And uh, the words in part uh, go something like this. Uh, she sings, stars, they got nothing on us. I think we were born to shine. Because the stars are dull when they're compared to you and I. We're brighter than fireflies, we're gonna light the sky. 
Believe it or not, every time I listen to that song, I end up crying. And my boys always point it out every single time. Dad's crying again. And uh, I, I wonder, as I listen to it, I even think, I wonder, why, okay, why am I weeping? Is it mere sentimentality? Maybe, that's part of it. But actually, there is a profound truth in these words that we were born to shine. We all seek glory on some level. We seek to be known. We seek renown. Take it down a notch. We seek to be loved. We seek to be accepted. We seek to be acknowledged. The truth is, if we have no desire to be accepted, it's probably the bitterness of sin that has hardened our hearts. No, uh, we were born to shine. Now, maybe you think that I've gone off the deep end and I've somehow capitulated to the spirit of the age, right, to the self-esteem movement or to the new age movement, uh, but I assure you that I have not. We were born to shine. The Bible tells me so. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world, Jesus says. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Ephesians 5.8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Philippians 2, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Okay, what does this have to do with our passage? Well, I want to pick up on really one implication of the passage, and then I want to tease that out in five points. If you want to follow along, on the back of your bulletin, uh, there's an outline. has these five points on it. And I want you to notice, uh, though, that as we see... As we see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that's chapter 4, verses 4 and 6, as we see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we are told that we are transformed into the same image, chapter 3, verse 18. We become glorious. As Moses reflected the glory of God after coming down from Mount Sinai, so we are called to reflect the glory of Christ to the world. How does that happen? Well, if you would shine these five things. One, behold the face of Jesus. Two, if you would shine, let go the glories of this world. Three, if you would shine, admit your sin and shame. Four, if you would shine, enter sorrow and suffering. And fifth, if you would shine, set your hope on the glory to come. Now, before we jump into that, I should say the word glory, sometimes kind of hard to nail down, and I'm probably going to use it a bunch. Uh, It means the greatness of something. It means reputation and beauty and tastiness. Grace, uh, glory is all that is praiseworthy in a thing. Glory is the the dazzling brightness, the the gleaming beauty, the shimmering majesty, the radiant transplendence. 
To seek glory may mean to seek fame, or it may mean to enjoy the glory of something else, to want to stand in one of the great cathedrals of Europe, uh, to want to get to know a famous actor or actress, to enjoy a well-crafted beer or a well-made sandwich, whatever it is. Right? We find glory in all kinds of things. Something is glorious in this world if it gives a little taste of the greatness of God. So if you would shine, number one, behold the face of Jesus. I want to connect again uh, these two verses in this passage. Chapter 4, verse 6, and chapter 3, verse 18. Chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see, it's as we with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. As we behold glory, we become glorious. Christ changes us as we behold him. We change as we come face to face with Jesus. When you look at someone's face, uh, you see their attitude towards you, right? Oftentimes, if someone smiles at you, you, you instinct, instinctively smile in response. Sometimes the psalmist longs for the face of God. And yet the face of God might also mean judgment in Scripture. But for Israel, God's shining face on them is the quintessential image of his blessing. Now, as much as I would like to quote every Old Testament passage that builds this theme, I, I can't, or at least I won't, for your sake. But God's face shining on his people causes them to be radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed, Psalm 34. God's glorious grace smiling on his people changes them. It transforms them from one degree of glory to another. It makes them radiant. Just as, the, as Jesus' face was transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration, it shone like the sun, the Bible tells us, so our face is changed as we gaze on the face of Jesus. That's how we are changed. Now, let's get practical for a minute because what in the world am I talking about? <laughs> How do we gaze on the face of Jesus? How are we made glorious? What does that even mean? Well, Paul tells us, actually, how we gaze on the face of Jesus, thankfully. Speaking of Israel in chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, he says this. He says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. How do we gaze on the face of Jesus? 
Well, first, Paul says we, we trust in him by faith. We turn to the Lord. We need him to remove our blindness, to remove our hardness of heart. And so we turn to him. But second, we, we read. Right? We read the Old Covenant, Paul says. We read Moses. We read Scripture because Jesus is revealed there. He himself says, you search the Scriptures because you believe that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that speak of me, Jesus says. We see Jesus' face, his countenance, his attitude toward us in the Scriptures, especially in the Gospel. That's where we see Jesus' face smiling on us. And so if you would shine, you need to seek Jesus' face in the Scriptures. When you read the Bible, don't just, don't just read it because you have to. Don't just read it to get it done with. Read asking God to reveal Jesus to you. Asking God to open your eyes to see his gospel. Asking God to open your eyes to see his grace more and more. Okay, what will change? How do we become glorious? Well, we become more like him. We become glorious not because uh, you, you become like a rock star, but because you become like Jesus. You begin to take on the character of Jesus, which is true glory. You take on Jesus' holiness, and you take on Jesus' love, and you take on Jesus' sacrificial character. We are conformed to his image. Now, if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a while, you might think, well, okay, I, I believe in Jesus and I've read the Bible but I don't feel transformed, and I sure don't feel glorious. There's got to be more to it than that. And there is, of course. There are things, many things in our heart, in our lives, that keep us from seeing the glory of Jesus in all its brightness. It's like trying to get a tan while sitting on a sunny beach under an umbrella. You see the sun all around you, you can feel its heat radiating off the sand, but it doesn't change you. And the remaining points, what we're going to do is basically talk about how to tear down that umbrella so we can bask in the light of the sun. And so if you would shine, first, behold Jesus in the Scriptures. Second, if you would shine, let go the glories of this world. Why? Why? As long as you have something that you think will give you all the glory that you need, the glory of Jesus will remain veiled. Israel had the law. They were happy with the law. The law could not change them. The law was powerless to change them. The law could only condemn, in fact, Paul says. But the law itself was glorious. It was God's law, after all. It told them what was right and good. The law could give them a, a form of godliness, an outward glory, as they appeared to keep it. And so Israel was satisfied with the law. But the law was powerless, right, to change what really mattered. Israel had the law and this outward glory. What do we have? What do we look to to make us glorious or to satisfy that hunger for glory in our hearts. We look to the things of this world, which Paul calls in uh, chapter 4, verse 18, things that are seen, things that are transient, 
things that are wasting away. We look to things like the, the glory of physical beauty, the glory of physical strength, the glory of physical abilities, the glory of popularity and reputation and respect, the glory of intelligence and learning and academics and degrees, the glory of business and politics, of position and power, it can be the glory of anything. If we don't have anything else, we'll settle just for likability or being nice. Now, these all involve some kind of self-improvement, right? Changing our physical selves, changing our behavior, changing our thinking, changing our economic situation, maybe changing our academic status. They often lead to some kind of glory in this world. And of course, none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Favor is better than silver or gold. 1 Timothy 4.8 says bodily training is of some value. Desirability even is celebrated in the Song of Solomon. So the, the, the Song of Solomon says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. See, there, there is something not just okay, not just neutral, but good about reputation and physical strength and beauty and knowledge and learning. All of these things are good and God-given. The problem is not with these things as far as they go, but like the glory of the Mosaic law, they are powerless to change what matters most. They all focus to some degree on the outward appearance. They all focus on this life. Like all things that are seen, their glory is transient, wasting away. The glory fades. Right? Our strength grows weak. Our beauty loses its luster. Our youth ages and bends and becomes brittle. Our reputation is lost in a moment. Kingdoms rise and fall. Fads come and go. This year's academic achievement is next year's old news. Every discovery becomes outdated. Every invention an antique. This is why the writer of Ecclesiastes says, all is vanity, all is a vapor, all is a mist, which will soon dissipate with the rising of the sun. See, the problem is not with the glory of these created things in itself. The problem is it's the glory of created things. Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 7 says, all flesh is grass and all its beauty, real beauty, is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. So what is the problem with the glories of this world? They are the glories of this world. We settle for making ourselves rich and beautiful and healthy and smart and funny and famous, even right and law-abiding, but God wants to make you glorious. His desire, His plan, His purpose is to transform you into the image of His Son, but we settle. And as long as we look for glory in this life, in fact, the glory of Jesus will be anathema to you. Jesus gave up applause. He gave up comforts. And he headed to the cross. The, the cross speaks of death to this life. Whoever would save his life must lose it. If I think life can be found in this world, if I think glory is found in the stuff of this life, 
then Jesus' words are at best silly and at worst misleading and offensive. Lose this life? Not if it's where I find my glory. Not if it's where I satisfy my hunger. The, the glory of Jesus is dying to this world and rising to another. And as long as you love this world, Jesus' glory will be an enigma to you. Who wants to hear that what they value in life is impotent and fading? We can enjoy the glories of this world. That's why God made them, after all. That's why he put them here. But we dare not settle on them. We enjoy them with open hands. We must be ready to die to this life in order to have a new one. As long as we are enamored with this life, we won't see past it to the resurrection glory that Jesus offers. So if you would shine, behold the face of Jesus and let go the glories of this world. Enjoy them, but with open hands, realizing that there is a greater glory found in the cross and in the resurrection. Third, if you would shine, admit your sin and shame. You know, holding loosely the glories of this life is one thing. Admitting how inglorious you really are is another. But until you acknowledge your sin and your shame, the glory of the cross is veiled. The cross speaks of the glory of forgiveness and of cleansing. This, by the way, is, is the veil that remained over the hearts of the Israelites. You know, Paul in this passage moves from, uh, in his description, from a literal to a figurative veil. Did you notice that? He says, when Moses came down from the mountain, uh, his face shone with the glory of God. And if you read in Exodus, the result is that the people were afraid. They were terrified to look at the face of Moses. See, they know that no one can see God's glory and live, but here is Moses shining with the glory of God. And it's got them shaking. And so Moses put a literal veil over his face. One commentator explains it like this. He says, the veil of Moses makes it possible for the glory of God to be in the midst of the people, albeit now mediated through Moses, without destroying them. The veil expresses God's judgment. God's reflected glory must be veiled because of their sinful state. Otherwise, it would have destroyed them. But the veil also expresses God's mercy. It makes it possible for the glory of God to be brought into the midst of the people through Moses. So, so the, this veil over Moses' face really performs the same function, function as the veil in the tabernacle later on, which both protects the people from walking presumptuously into God's presence and fatally into God's presence, but it also enables God's presence to be there in their midst. But then Paul says, to this day, the veil remains. A veil lies over their hearts to keep them from seeing the glory of God. Or as Paul also says, their hearts are hard. And what does that hardness consist? Well, it, you piece things together from the New Testament. In large part, Israel in Jesus' day was very often self-righteous. Jesus told a parable at one point in Luke 18 to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And in that parable, the religious leader thanked God that he was not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast 
Twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. Prior to his conversion, Paul was building for himself a righteousness based on the law, a righteousness that he could show to the world because he kept God's law, at least outwardly. See, oddly enough, for many, the very law that in the end condemned them, they saw as a tool to prove their righteousness. If only I can keep to the letter of this law, I can show people how good I really am. By performing, by by living a good life, by, by outwardly keeping all the rules, they thought they were good people. And when you think you're a good person, you don't see your need for a redeemer. When you don't see your sin and your shame, you don't see your need for forgiveness and cleansing. And and let's be honest, right? We live in a world that is all about appearances. Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat allow us to portray a, a perfect persona when our lives are crumbling inside. We know a thing or two about keeping up appearances. It's easy. If you say something dumb in a post, you can always delete it. Nobody will ever know. Until we as Christians are willing to take a hard look at our lives, until we are willing to be honest about the mess that we find, until we are willing to accept the shame of our sin, until we are willing to to get over our hang-up about guilt, right? We stop saying to people, oh, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Well, maybe they should feel bad about that. You know, guilt is not bad. Guilt's just honest. And until we own it, We can never be free of it. Only once we are honest about our sin and our shame and our brokenness on a moment-by-moment basis, honest with ourselves, honest with God, uh, to appropriate degrees, honest with other people, only when we are honest about our sin will we see the glory of the cross for what it really is. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus in Isaiah 53 was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. If you are unwilling to admit your sin, that verse will be meaningless to you. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. In order to be transformed, we must see more fully the glory of Jesus. But in order to see the glory of Jesus, we must see more fully the depth of our sin. We don't change very often because we are, are unwilling to see the glory of Christ. And we're unwilling to see the glory of Christ because we're unwilling to see and admit our sin and shame. We have a veil over our eyes, and we want to keep it that way. We are afraid to admit what's really going on. We don't want to be honest about what's really uh, transpiring in our hearts and in our minds. It's one of Satan's great tricks, right? He, He shows you just enough of your sin to cause you to turn your head. If I don't look at it, maybe it will go away. Maybe it's not really there. Maybe no one else will notice. You know, sometimes Christians are are 
pitied or mocked, I don't know which, maybe both, for always talking about their sin, right? They're just constantly talking about sin. You know, I, I want to see my sin. I, I desire to see my sin because I, I want to experience genuine guilt. Godly sorrow, Paul calls it. Not so that I can wallow in it. Who wants to wallow in their sin? That's no fun. But so that I can see the glory of Jesus as Savior, forgiving and cleansing and empowering, and by seeing it be changed, transformed, as Paul says, from one degree of glory to another. So if you would shine, behold the face of Jesus. Let go the glories of this world. Admit your sin and shame. And fourth, if you would shine, enter sorrow and suffering. Again, no one wants to be sad. No one wants to suffer. If you do, there's a problem. Come and talk to me afterwards. But as long as we cling to worldly joy, as long as we cling to worldly security and happiness and comfort and ease, the glory of the cross will remain veiled. The cross speaks of one who gave up security, who gave up ease and comfort to sacrifice of himself for others. Jesus became a man of sorrows and was acquainted with grief. And really, it's in the midst of Jesus' greatest suffering, his greatest trial, his greatest moment of weakness, his death on the cross, that God brings forth the greatest display of his power and glory in the resurrection. And the same is true for us. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure Paul says, in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You know, suffering is, is unavoidable in this life. You will suffer, that's guaranteed. But it is precisely, it is precisely in our sorrow and suffering that Christ meets us and shows us his sufficiency and joy. It's actually as we enter into the troubles of this world, rather than always trying to avoid them, rather than pawning them off on others, rather than coping with them through self-indulgence or telling ourselves everything's going to be okay, rather than clawing our way into comfort and ease no matter what, at all costs. Now, as we experience trouble, experience sadness, and turn to Jesus, we come to know more fully His glory. And you know, when we, when we admit our sin and shame and when we enter sorrow and suffering, not only do we experience more fully the glory of Jesus, but we also make it known. Paul suffers so that others may see Jesus. Why is that? Why is it that people can see Jesus through Paul's suffering? Well, because it's in our humanity that we proclaim his divinity. It's in our weakness that we proclaim his strength. 
It's in our suffering that we proclaim His sufficiency. It's even in our sin that we proclaim Him as Savior. Paul boasts in his weakness. He boasts in his suffering. He even boasts in his sin. He doesn't rejoice in his sin, but he's honest about the depth of his sinfulness. He says in 1 Timothy 1, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Would you shine with the glory of Jesus? You must enter sorrow and suffering and even shame. You must boast in your weakness so that others will see his sufficiency. Why is this the case? Well, because as stars appear more brilliant on the darkest of nights, so the glory of Jesus appears most brilliant in contrast to our weakness and our suffering and our sin. Now, that doesn't mean go out and sin so you have something to boast about. That's not what I'm saying. And by the way, trust me, whatever sin you have is enough to boast in the grace of Jesus. You don't need any more. Really, no matter how much you grow in this life, there will be more than enough of your sin to show his grace by contrast. In fact... The more you strive for obedience, the more clearly you will see your own weakness, which will cause you to boast in him all the more. And so if you would shine, behold the face of Jesus. Let go the glories of this world. Admit your sin and shame. Enter sorrow and suffering. Even boast in sin and suffering. Fifth, if you would shine, set your hope on glory to come. As, as long as you live thinking that this present life will supply what you need, the glory of the cross is veiled. The shame of the cross precedes, gives way to, opens up to, is the doorway to the eternal glory of the resurrection. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. 414 says that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And then verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, if you focus on created glories, they are wasting away once again. Our, our bodies decay, our beauty fades, our strength fails, our health deteriorates, our abilities grow dull. You know, great singers lose their voice, great fighters lose their strength, great intellects lose their minds. What is seen is transient. Doesn't mean those things are bad, but don't put all your money in that stock because it will one day tank. But this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As long as your heart is on this world and you're living for the stuff of this world, you will shine with the glory of this world. And you will not want to hear that there's a greater glory yet to come. 
Only when your heart is on the resurrection and you see the glory of the resurrection and that Jesus by the cross has purchased for us the resurrection will we see the glory of Jesus. Light and momentary, by the way, when Paul talks about this light, momentary affliction, it doesn't mean that our trials aren't real. It doesn't mean that they're not painful. It doesn't mean that they're not tragic. It, it doesn't mean that they're not heavy or lifelong. But our afflictions are light in comparison with the glory to come. And they're momentary in comparison with eternity. See, only when we're willing to see beyond the trials and the glories of this age to the glories of the age to come, where there will be no more trials and no more sadness and no more tears, will the glory of the cross mean anything to us. So if you would shine, behold the face of Jesus, let go the glories of this world, admit your sin and shame, enter sorrow and suffering, set your hope on the glory to come. And I want to ask one more question, briefly. What does it look like to shine with the glory of Jesus? And as we see the glory of Jesus as a glory that transforms, that lasts, that forgives, that overcomes, that's beyond this life, we fall in love with his glory. As the face of God shines on you in the face of Jesus, you will become radiant. But what does it look like to shine? What does that mean? Shining with the glory of Jesus happens in the context of everyday life. The context of the, the situations and the opportunities and the, the roles in which you find yourselves already. You may shine as a, as a mom or as an artist or as a student, but it will be the way that you use those opportunities and the use that you put to them and the purpose for which we employ our abilities that is different as we use our gifts in a way that reflects the holiness of our Father and His love for the world, people will get a glimpse of the glory of the Father in us. As we begin to treat people the way Jesus treated us, using our talents and our skills to serve others, not to be served, to give of ourselves for their good, people will get a glimpse of the glory of Jesus in us. As we come alongside others to be for them and with them, not to draw attention to ourselves, but like the Holy Spirit, to spotlight Jesus in their lives, people will get a glimpse of the glory of the Holy Spirit's work in us. This is basically what Paul says, after all, when he says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's how people see the glory of Jesus in us, when we proclaim him and serve others. If there was one thing that I could want for our church, maybe more than anything, it would be that like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, people would look at us and see our faces shine and know that we have been with Jesus. May it be so. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess how dull we feel. Father, we need to see Jesus in all of his glory. We need your spirit to shine the light of Jesus into our hearts. That we would be transformed into your image so that we could let our light so shine before men that they would see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. 
Father, work in us to glorify yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.